you start recording? Yeah. Oh, you already did? Okay, yes. cool. Just did. Did you try your Cheetos? Wait, they aren't Cheetos. No. What did I get you? Cheez-Its. Extra toasty. I did not try them yet. I don't need to try them. I know what they taste like. Yeah, but I got the regular ones because those are the better. <laughs> so now we can have a Cheetos, Cheez-Its off. No. No, I'm not going to eat those for a little while. <laughs> with the sound effects. We haven't done that in a while. All right. That's enough of that. Fine. Still. I think mine were more. That's exciting. I was trying to find the money. Oh, I found the money. That was the D one. Yep. Mine were more money. Um, yeah. So, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> you were probably waiting for me to go. You're just like, oh, why did you do this? Um, so I had, a t- I had a topic that kind of came up in my brain because I've been mulling on this now for a couple weeks probably and just in passing. So this is going to be one of those episodes that maybe like probably a so hopefully it's a sobering moment or maybe sobering moment, but hopefully it's inspirational by the end of it. Um, I mean, next came. Now I'm curious. Yeah. This came about, I'm going to, before I go to the, into the detail for the last like, how long have you been studying for your pilot's license? Well, first of all, it's called the pilot certificate, which okay, pilot if I call it that or people call it that, they're like, oh, yeah, pilot's license. So, yeah, you can you can say, call it what you want, but I didn't know if you knew that. It's called the pilot certificate. Airman I didn't certificate. know that. Um, cool. So I made it a goal last year, and it, I just couldn't make it happen before selling my company, and that was my number one goal the previous year was to – just transition out of that phase of my life and uh, I was able to accomplish that so I put getting my pilot's private pilot wait shit, I, meant, I meant to do the cha-ching okay so <laughs> I put the private pilot certificate number one on my uh, goals list for 2023 and uh, I really started cranking out uh, studying and, and everything uh, January 1 2023 yep so it took about nine months right eight, so you, mo- eight months so you've been working towards that for the last nine months, eight months. Yeah. Um, how long have you been shooting PRS now? Uh, six years-ish, six and a half yeah. years. In that six years, how many of the goals within the PRS do you feel you've accomplished? Uh, most most of them. Do you think you hit personally. most of them within the same year, or did it take no. you? So Okay, so for a given year, how many goals have you achieved within the year? And I, I'm bringing this up, and I guess I'll let you answer the question, but I'm bringing this up because I think if everyone here listening pushes pause before they keep listening, think about the goals that you've set for yourself. And if you haven't, write down, I haven't made any goals for myself. But then <laughs> continue playing. And if you have, write down the, one, the goals you made for a year, whether you achieved them or not. And I'm going to share mine after you answer. How many, any given year, if you set two, three, or four goals uh, for PRS-related stuff, how many have you achieved say out of the last six years five six years well i mean most years i achieve my goals they just uh seem to get bigger and and more difficult because i mean that's kind of how goals work yep (laughs) um and i I don't know if you personally remember because it's been so wild or so long but um we recorded an episode on goals we did yeah so hopefully we release that before we have this discussion. No, we did. Um, we didn't release the episode yet. Oh, the goals one? No. Oh, okay. Well, 
But anyway, well, that means you will. By the time you hear this, you will have heard that. <laughs> yeah. So this will be fitting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you, I guess my PRS goals. Yeah. Yeah. They started out small. We've already t- discussed yep. this. Um, you know, make it to the pro finale, which is not small to be quite honest. That was no. the, that was a super lofty goal when I first started. This you you said you did exactly what I thought you were going to do or say. You said what I was going to hoping you were going to say, which was you have achieved most of your goals, but they come become bigger and harder. The goal of getting your pilot's certificate was also quote big goal, but it's just a first step in getting the rest of the experience behind being a pilot and the all of the other things that come along with it. The reason I wanted to talk about this is I noticed not only in shooting, but I think a lot of people looking upward, you know, at say the top level shooters at the, the top five and to top 10 who are constantly winning matches, constantly placing on the top on the podium. They, and they kind of think like, Oh, they're, you know, they're always just winning and it's got to feel so great. And all this, I realized that there's this, um, I think there's a, almost a non sequitur between what what it really feels like to progress towards something that requires perfection. And I'm bringing this up because of your pilot's license. You know, when you were talking with me about what it was like for you studying and you started throwing around words, I'm like, ah, what in the hell are you talking about? Like, I understand, like, the basic fundamentals of what makes an airplane lift off and all of the cool German, jargon and terminology that related to the controls of an airplane only at such a basic level that it probably isn't even worth mentioning. That said, I'm sure you ran into things that you're like, oh, oh, okay, I get it. And now you you just have fluent conversations in it. That doesn't make you a, quote, professional pilot, right? No, I'm definitely not an expert. Far from it. They say it's a license to learn. Correct. (laughs) And that's why I know you were just beginning your journey. Shooting feels much the same way. And I think that there's this misunderstanding of what it's like and sort of the expectation that happens once you say you're just starting out in PRS or you're, you know, fairly intuitively a good shooter, maybe instinctively or other, and you have some success here and there, maybe you fly to the top in a match or two and you think, I'm just going to own the world now. I'm, I'm, I figured it out. Shooting has a way of not letting you figure out what you don't they don't even show you what you don't know you get to figure that out later when you just get something handed to you just your butt is handed to you right um this is a very difficult sport and i guess the point that i wanted to talk about more in general um and the, some of the details around it as you progress it only gets more difficult and this is a sobering moment for me because it it's highlighted every time i go shoot a match now competition is getting better and that there is no doubt in my mind the shooters are better. The equipment is better. Their skill sets are far better. They have better training, uh, and they have, frankly, more experience behind them, so they make fewer mistakes. And that second part, the making fewer mistakes, seems like that's where I want to be, right? Yeah, but when you have the opportunity to make, say, a mis- you start making a mistake on average at age, so you have 20 mistakes, and that somewhere a year in, you might make 10 mistakes. Two years in, you might make five mistakes a match big ones and then three years in it might be half that but if you keep having that it still means that you have the opportunity to make one or two mistakes and those are so monumentally costly at the top levels that it i would argue it's more frustrating (laughs) i would be blunt i had a lot more fun when i wasn't chasing trophies and i wasn't trying to chase wins just because 
it was fun to chase. Now it is a it is a gr- it is a mental grind. And I mean, we just we just experienced one of the most difficult matches that we've shot. I say that the phrase so many times, which is what blows me away. And I don't disagree with you saying that statement about this match, this particular match, because I do think it was one of the hardest <laughs> matches we've ever shot. But we've, but I think that's part of the sentiment you're trying to say is it, that the, it is. The, the matches keep getting harder, the competition keeps getting better. And to the point of the match directors from this match, I think that that's what this sport needs to make it more legitimate. It needs to have this uh, competitive parity that. All, all the matches are a, are an equal difficulty and they are continuously yep. rising in difficulty as the shooters perform better and, and learn more and are able to execute better. I mean, this match was won in less than 20 points and um, by less than 20 missed shots in the whole match. It was like 15 <laughs> or 17. And, yeah. and there's been a lot of matches this year even. 186 that, out of 202. Yeah, there's been a lot of matches this year, even though that people have won the matches by ten points, dropping ten points on the whole weekend. So or less. there's there's a huge disparity. That's that's a huge number in my opinion, um, based on the difficulty of the matches. And this was a very difficult match. There was just there wasn't a lot of wind, and but the targets were really small, and there were the stages were very cerebral and a lot of movements. And even though you had 105 seconds. Um, I timed out four or five times. So I think that goes to, I don't, I'm not sure where you're heading with that, but I think it goes to say that, you know, my, our goals, my goals have to change um, and evolve to try to keep up. And that's kind of humbling at times because, you know, I, I've placed my focus other, other places this year a little bit. And, and uh, I just think, though, that for the growth of the sport and uh, the legitimacy of the sport long term, I think it's important. No, I agree. Um, it, it was This is a match that I felt there were a lot of people who said it was a difficult match. Maybe they didn't like certain aspects of it. Uh, there were some things that I wasn't you know, super keen on. But honestly, there was a lot that I really did like. It felt like an AG Cup match. I mean, it, it was. I mean, it, no, but I mean, to be <laughs> blunt, there are some matches that have not been, like that have been AG matches, quote unquote, that were hard, that were not hard. I mean, I'm not going to name the match. Everybody who's following along knows You weren't exactly even there, which, so you I don't know, know how hard it was. Every, <laughs> you, I'm not even going to dignify that one with a response, so to speak, because <laughs> I already know where it went. And multiple people who shot that match said way easier than they ever thought it was going to be. They couldn't believe it. Um, that said, the, these two extremes are sort of like when you go too easy there's a disservice that occurs when you shoot a match that is far too easy overall for what it should be and there's a disservice when it's so hard that people can't learn but i think when you as long as you match what you think you're going to get out of the match if you know it's going to be a difficult match and you're going there to learn because it is a tough match that's perfect go for it do it and you're gonna you're going to learn your weak spots you're going to find them and you're going to have to find all of them and weed through a given stage. What was the root cause of a given error? Where did What did that error lead to another error? How did you fix the second error? Oh, I didn't. Okay. And then that led to all these other problems. This match to me was probably the most needed match I've had all year. I mean, I've shot a super difficult season this year. I don't think I, this is only this. I think I've had one or two non-AG matches is what it feels like. 
but they were very difficult. They were really windy, or they ended up being incredibly difficult um, by nature. And this one is no exception to that. This one was extraordinarily difficult. Um, I guess the, the part of the question, or part of me bringing this up is, I feel that I'm not, I'm not sure that I was actually ready for, let's call it, an insanely difficult cerebral match. I didn't come into this match thinking, get ready for the AG Cup. And I mean literally the AG Cup, because that's what it felt like. I think I, I felt like 15 to 16 stages out of the 20, my mental acuity and my ability to tune up speed, focus, and be just 100% uh, at all times, was I was not capable of doing it this whole weekend, obviously. I mean, I did well on Saturday, not so well on Sunday. But I think that's part of this this game is learning when to ratchet up and learning when to ratchet down. And I guess the, the major driving point of this discussion was we will never achieve perfect in this sport, not continuously, at least not the way that it's going now. And you have to be good with that as a shooter because if you're, if you're going into a match and every single time that you go to a match, you think, I'm going to burn it down this weekend, right? I'm going to hit my first top 10. It's a great attitude, except you also need to be absolutely willing to say that at some point, you're going to be probably more wrong than you are more right for most people. There could only be five people on the podium. Yeah. And this is this is the sobering part of that. This sport is getting so freaking tough that all it takes is one or two stages and you demoralize yourself to the point where even if you try to stay super positive and fight through it, you will have things happen that you just cannot explain. Um, this weekend, I struggled with it um, on day two because we had a win that was, generally speaking, down low of what I, mean, I would say between... 11.30 and 12.30. Very yeah. back and forth with a virtually no indication of where the wind was coming from. You could see Mirage, but it didn't shoot like what you saw. You'd see dust, but very little of it. There were no real indicators, and the, the angle changes were so subtle that you might have a tenth or two left, tenth or two right, but the targets are three-tenths wide. Your groups are two-tenths wide. Your target is three-tenths wide. That means you have literally a half of a tenth on either side of a centered perfect wind call to drop one. So that means you have maybe a half mile per hour max. That's a really tough ask. Um, and yeah. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know that a lot of people are. I mean, I, I said this comment right before we push record and I don't think it's justified to have a whole episode about it. So I'm, I'm going to bring it in here. Um, I watched adjacent squads of ours. Um, and there was, there was mixed levels of, experience but I got the impression that uh, a lot of people um, don't shoot paper very often and they don't shoot paper from um, you know some support unsupported positions like rock piles and and props and all kinds of stuff it's uh, their training day consists of maybe going to the range and shooting prone to get their zero and their speed and then um, they probably shoot off tank traps barricades all those types of stuff but they're shooting at steel and um, you and I have both said this before. I think, and you're the one that convinced me of it, and uh, I'm the one that, like, takes it, and I would practice on paper a lot. But yep. um, I was, you know, able to confirm, hey, I agree with you. You should be able to shoot groups um, as good or better off a bag than you can with a bipod in a bag. I mean, if you get to where you're comfortable with natural point of aim and... and uh, straight 90 degree trigger press follow through all the fundamentals of marksmanship um you should be able to throw your your 
game changer down on a rock pile and shoot five rounds on paper and then compare that to a prone um, group, you know, from a, from a prone or from a modified prone position. And they should be, you know, virtually equivalent. If not, I, I think most of the time we can shoot better off a bag if it's a stable prop. I can't say yes any more than I can say absolutely. Um, so the most, I, the I most just, important group that I shot today was at the end of the match, day two. Very last group we shot. Yeah, and, I and, guess. And it was, well, no, and it was because, <laughs> and it, it was simply, so. it was simply because I was uncertain where my actual zero was. I knew where I thought it was, but when I got done and I shot that and I realized when I am at this point on my turret, it should have been on center or a tenth, half a tenth right. It was a full half a tenth left. So it was a full tenth away from where I thought it was supposed to be. Yeah. These a targets didn't tenth. have a tenth. You to give. did not have a tenth. So that was telling to me that not only group size aside, because it was a little bit bigger group, I fired it rapidly, um, which honestly, no more rapidly than in some of the cases that we had yeah, to, that shoot. to shoot. So if I were, I was able to pull a 0.7 inch group approximately, like all the bullets touched the, the outer edge of a one inch circle. So I say the outer, meaning my outside of my bullet was inside the line of a one inch circle. So center to center, it puts that about a quarter in. So just around a 0.7, 0.75 group. A 0.75 inch eight shot group in about 10 seconds, um, shot from a bench. And it was a quarter left from where <laughs> it, it should have been. It was 10 rounds. It was 10 rounds. And my, oh, yeah, because I had my entire spare mag. <laughs> um, it was really quick. But my point simply is, it was a full 10th from where I expected. Mm-hmm. And on the very last stage, I was not on that point because I had been dialing around with my wind. Me not knowing where my actual zero was probably affected me and made me really second guess a lot of the wind calls. It's absolutely essential. And I... I, I laid down and checked my zero right before that stage, and so I knew exactly where it was. And I, I think you and I are pretty good at that. Whenever you see a zero board, I don't, I don't like to walk by it. Uh, it most of the time, it's exactly where I th- expect it to be. And I've had people message me. He's like, people are like, do you really check your zero because your zero moves all the time? No, I check it because no. I want to know it hasn't moved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just I, mean, I just want to know. It's a difference. Like, I understand people are going to say, oh, if you think your zero moved, then something's wrong. Well, there's a lot of reasons. The last time I officially checked it, I put three rounds on it this morning, and they were point of aim, point of impact, ever so slightly centered, like perfectly centered as far as I could tell, left and right, and a half, quarter of a tenth above zero. Um, so it was perfectly centered. Now, in the afternoon, it had shifted to one, not quite one-tenth left. But that, that almost one-tenth left is a massive amount. But I know that that's very near my ability to keep a rifle zeroed for any given, say, five shots or ten shots. That said, that's why we say, or I personally know, that if I keep firing over and over and over, I'm going to find the real center. And I think that it was that my zero had shifted from cleaning, from shooting, from getting fouled. It just slightly well, I mean, walked left. Your three, round, three rounds in the morning might not have been representative exactly. of your actual zero. So. Yeah, and I don't know that. So all of those things aside, I mean, when you get to really small targets and you get to really hard matches, you're a, sometimes the devil is in your details, and it can be really frustrating. I mean, how many shots? Let's just assume that that was the culprit, and I had moved my zero. I went one click right and shot all the exact same calls today. It's entirely plausible that I pick up seven to ten points because of how small these target were and how close I was missing. Going, come on! I mean, I watched you miss targets half a like half an inch to two inches left or right of a target, and we're at six hundred yards. <laughs> that's a click, and you just 
clip and edge and now you see it rock hard and you go, ooh, I'm right on the edge. Blowing into the dirt where it's soft and you can't see it, it's almost harder at times than hitting an edge. Hitting an edge is far more indicative of what really is happening. Yeah. Um, it, it, man, I just, I know, I, this match was both kind of that love-hate relationship with Precision Rifle um, and we've been to different matches across the country where, you know, we get our, you know, we get our licks in and we feel like, okay, we have something to learn. The thing that I learned this weekend, and I don't know, I don't think you're going to agree with this one at all. Um, <laughs> whatsoever, actually. I know. And I know, uh, to his credit, congrats to Clay. I know Clay shot his tail off. That was awesome. Smashed. He was, he it was, was on it. well worth the $250 admittance fee for the AG Cup to watch that. I don't even so. want to say he was like on fire. I think he was just in, he was in the zone. Like he, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. say. I caught. I looked over his shoulder a couple times, and he was on his phone looking up like baseball scores and stuff. I'm like, "How are yeah. you so calm right now?" It was awesome. <laughs> it was cool to watch. So, obviously, he knows his gun. He knows his um, his rifle really well. He shot extra, extraordinary all weekend. Um, so, hats off. Great win. Um, that said, Clay, and I don't know if he did this weekend. I wasn't paying attention if he dialed or held more of the weekend, but. He I did am, about 50-50. I saw him hold up quite a bit, and I saw him dial a lot. Yeah, and I I guess part of me, I think I'm... Actually, I know for a fact. I've said it before, but now I this match confirmed it. I am done dialing any amount of wind. And I I just couldn't be certain. When I started just moving the dial, when you're moving it constantly one-tenth, and you think you know where it is, and this is why I bring that up. If my zero were from one click, and it had shifted, say, a tenth, and I say not even a tenth, but just enough with these smaller targets, all I had to do is not touch the stupid little dial and just hold where I need to, believe what you see from that point, and you always have a constant reference. But if you change and you've actually, you know, you've shifted a tenth left, you move it a tenth right, and you're back to where you're supposed to be, you think the wind is stronger than it is, and it can honestly be really misleading. And I would rather just let the rifle show me what it needs based on where I hit than have to think that I accidentally dialed some in or out that was too much or too little when really it was the opposite. That's what led to a lot of confusion today. Um, I like how you said before you said that statement that I wouldn't agree with you because I don't. I know. (laughs) I, I, I know you. I know you don't, but I am still having a hard time reconciling anything that I saw on targets today because it just simply didn't make sense. Us on top of that Connex was a perfect example. Hey, man, you show me your thing. It's I'm going to hold left, then I'm going to hold center, then I'm going to hold right. I no, the opposite. Rather, right, left, right, center, left. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's cool because I'm holding right, 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 and righter. Like yeah. That was my initial plan the whole time, and I went up, I shot before you, and I thought that the wind felt and looked like one quarter minute right to start. I'm like, ah, or a little more. You know what? I don't know that that's the case. Let's just trust closer to zero just to see what happens because I'm not sure. I sent just ever so slightly right a zero, so about maybe a tenth. And I already had a half a tenth or a tenth, I thought, in the gun. So it's close to two tenths. It was three tenths left of that. So effectively, that means I used 0.4 to hit center and then just had to walk 0.4, 0.4. And then on the when we got to the 400, we knocked it off. And then we got to that far diamond. Was, ah, this has got to be close to uh, you know 0.2 to 0.3 because now the wind's really... I don't have to hold right as much because it seemed like it was dying and we were turning into it. Yeah, this Point was being, that is the opposite of what you did. This was one of those matches where I should have listened less to you, and I I, I agree. I, I always like to, especially on these like 
switchy headwind type scenarios, I always like to just bounce ideas off of people. More than more than more often than not, I'm not digging for a wind call. I'm looking for confirmation of my own. And then when I find that it doesn't jive with what I was thinking, that's when I start to feel uncertain. And uh, yep. that stage you're talking about in particular, like I ran, I ran what my card says, but I didn't. I started exactly what the card says, and then I held the same for the second target, and that's where I missed, right where I was actually aiming. But I did have zero written down on my card. I'm like, why did I hold? Why did I hold the right edge when I had zero written on my card for that target? And it's just because like I let other things get into my head, and that was the only target I actually missed was that small one. Well, the- this goes into that. We talk about it all the time. Don't use other people's wind calls. Don't listen to them. I mean, it could be something, and this is probably what it was. Between our, zeros our, zeros, our zeros were different. Um, what we were dialing in, where we were using our zero versus dialing, the wind conditions on a headwind, are, are they are the... It, anybody, just to put a big asterisk on this, anybody who thinks a headwind is the easiest wind to shoot has not shot enough headwinds, um, especially in match conditions. I get it. If you're at your home range and you're just shooting in a straight headwind at the same target, yeah, you'll hit it a bunch. You'll probably miss once or twice and then go back to smashing, but... When you're doing it in match conditions where you're constantly changing angles, just five to 10 degrees, a five to 10 degree swing against a true headwind is atrocious. Like the, it, the true, the true head, the true <laughs> nature of it though, like was undetermined and it's, it was undeterminable because of yeah. the terrain. There were trees on the sides. There was openings in the trees at certain points. And then the, the terrain had these undulations that, could have been harnessing so i'm not trying to overcomplicate it but it wasn't super simple and uh you know this is this is only the second time i've shot here you've shot here three times now i think yeah and i just i think it's it's not like a wide open flat plains type headwind where you can literally take your kestrel and aim it at the wind we were in those trees on the last two stages and we were feeling a wind that was literally the opposite, opposite direction. direction yeah the opposite direction of what was down in the field and it turns out like you were shooting through the woods with a wind direction that was actually affecting your bullet and yeah the off the like when we shot off the tires and i'm like guys this feels like and i was talking to you about it so to describe this a little imagine you're shooting out to six seven hundred yards but the first 200 to 250 give or take are completely in between trees you have a 200 and something yard tree line and you're shooting in there. Well, the wind is technically. I still don't know how it right turned around left, in there. Right across, yeah. And the, the lane kind of cuts. You're shooting like about 45 degrees, give or take, across the real range, but you're tucked 200 yards into woods. So after you get shoot 200 yards, your bullet is now in the real range, and it's crossing 30 to 45 degrees up all the way across this firing line. And imagine the wind is coming normally straight up the firing line right at your head. Well, that means in this case, where we're shooting from inside the trees, we should have a approximately a one o'clock wind starting 200 yards away. That is not at all what happened. Like It felt the opposite. We would be sitting inside and all of a sudden you'd feel this, this big rush of wind. It would absolutely be going left to right at you to the point where I'm like, I'm looking and all the leaves in front of me are whipping literally 90 degrees to us going left to right. I looked back at Chad. We were talking, and I said, man, I think the first 200 yards inside of these trees where it's circling is causing the bullet to go left to right because I am holding left, like a significant amount left. And sure enough, 
the next guy who got up held 0.4 to half a mil left, which if, I mean, anybody who knows how headwinds work or at least 30 degrees or zero, like quote, right to left winds from 30 degrees, that is not a left hold. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there is no way you can have an eight mile an hour wind that causes you to hold left if it's coming from the right. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense um, unless something else is wrong. And so this is a very difficult well, we match. we should get Clay in here technical. and ask him how he did it because I, I never asked him for a wind call the whole weekend. I just I am honestly I was I just really kind of curious. He was he was very calm and and uh, just I know him and, and Austin were talking about stuff and Jimmy and, and uh, I just wasn't a part of that. So I don't I don't know if they knew or if they kind of just were kind of like we were guessing and then reacting to it. You know. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure. I mean, there were several calls that I would have, like, if I had just done what felt right in my gut, which I don't think I did on day two very well. Day one, I feel like I did or reacted and then made really good calls. Day one, I don't I don't think I made any mistakes on my initial calls very many times anyway. Day two, I felt like I, I was second-guessing what I saw versus what I felt. And when I didn't, I tended to score well. When I did and I got really apprehensive, I generally, it failed. Uh, example was up I've on the I've noticed that in my own mind as well. Yeah. Like when I go up there and I'm pretty confident um, and stick to my plan, it usually goes pretty well. And I think I watch with more intent. But when I'm uncertain, I'm, I take that all the way through the stage. <laughs> oh, it just makes you, like you're on eggshells with needles and scalpels underneath the needles because you just don't know what's going to happen. You feel like you... You have no idea what's about to come out of your barrel, and you're thinking, uh, I hope this hits. I hope this hits. And then when it doesn't hit, you, uh, I think I missed that. And you're, then you're starting to freak out because did it take one second too long for you to read it? Um, I mean, that happened twice, three times, four times to me on day two. The only time that it really paid off where I just I made a gut call based on I was looking at the clouds, um, when we were up on top of the Connex over fire before getting up there, the long range stage out to 1150 yards or whatever that was, the, we alternated IP6 starting at like seven, then 850. Then it was like, what, 950, 1100, I don't know, somewhere along those lines. Um, the upper layer clouds were right to left. When I say upper layer, they were what, probably 1500 feet were like the low, there were some low wispy ones I could see it above the treetops around a thousand feet then there were some big clouds up top all the clouds were going right to left however we shot left to right all morning and i mean all morning it was generally a left to right wind which makes no sense when you see the treetops when leaves come off the trees and they go right to left you expect the wind to be right to left except you don't we didn't shoot anything right to left on that range so i'm still trying to figure out how that mechanic happened uh, and, the, and that's where I think a top-down view is something I may try trying to say. What am I feeling and what could be causing this that I'm not seeing? Because I was struggling. However, on that stage, I saw the clouds, looked at what we were shooting at prior left to right, and just had this gut feeling. When we get 7, it'll be nothing around 650, nothing around 758, nothing really at 9. But when we get like to the 950 or 1000 and then the 1150 my bullet will be high enough and we're aiming far enough up the range that I'm best guessing the bullet will actually start to see that real right to left wind which means the first 800 700 yards will be left to right so let's just hold you know a little bit left for spin drift plus any amount of wind I see and then I'm going to literally stop 
and just keep holding center because spin drift will continue to take it right and I might have to hold say a tenth or two right of center for that 1150 yard shot and sure enough it did exactly that so I was you know left left more left less center right two tenths and that's kind of a backwards way of thinking of it when you're at such short range but it, it, it made sense and it worked you went up there and had a similar experience and all of a sudden it went the other way on you so yeah, oh yeah i feel like i got screwed um and I, I don't like to say that and and i don't take that uh phrase lightly but man i i walked it out and i was trying to let the bullet and the target tell me and and uh i only missed one on the way out and that's how i knew i needed i needed all left wind i needed four four to five tenths left at the far target yeah and then so i took that and and started running it up again and then I would slip them off the left, and I'd bring it back in a couple tenths, and then I ended up needing to hold center on the last target. So it, it was a five-tenths difference for me, but it, it is what it is. I wasn't able to keep up with it. And that's, to me, the this brings up the full kind of sentiment in a big wrapper. When you have matches, not just tough matches, but you're gonna any match you shoot, when you come in with a plan, stick to it. And come hell or high water... And I'm kind of trying to tie these three things together because I think, at least I still, this is what I came away with this match from. I had plans that I didn't stick to. It created ambivalence and also anxiety that I didn't need in an already anxiety-ridden match because this was the most complicated course of fire that I have ever read. I cannot, well, there might be one other match that I could think of war three years ago or two years ago that might have been as difficult. I think that one was actually just difficult in terms of the panning it was even more so i think this was the most difficult in terms of the sequence of fire what you had to remember um very unique in most cases and not a lot of um didn't have i mean it had symmetry but it was very technical hyper technical really that was one create a plan and stick to it because you don't need the anxiety going into the next step which is just watching your your targets looking for an impact and making a correction that's all you're ever able to do. And multiple times, I was expecting an impact, just assuming I was going to be right, instead of expecting to be wrong. And that was the wrong way to approach a lot of the second day two stages. And it threw me for a loop, which caused me to be frustrated. Like, why isn't this hitting? And then that was stemming from not sticking to my initial plan or my initial calls, just saying, and then that's the third part, which exacerbated, was moving my wind dial back and forth, thinking I was helping hedge my bet to not have to hold as much or not have to hold as little um all it really did was confuse my brain as to what was really happening and being able to judge against the, let's hold, i mean let's just say you had it one tenth right on one stage you go to the next and you oh, i need to have a tenth left past your zero one tenth left and now you're shooting a two three tenths target how do you it's not as you can't quickly establish what the prior stage was in relation to this because they're actually two tenths apart now that was the struggle I had all weekend when I started dialing back and forth. And that started really late in the day yesterday. It was the third stage, and then the next two stages, it went sideways. Yeah, well, I don't want to call you out, but you you do something that I don't understand, which is have your windage dial not on zero. Uh, it was only because it wasn't zeroed when it was... When I thought it was zeroed, when I came to the match and checked it, it was just slightly left after that. So I put it one to the right, which actually truly centered it up. That's the only reason. And I didn't slip it back okay. uh, because I was 
I was scared that I was going to slip the turret and have it move again, and I didn't have any extra rounds, as you know. That was another mistake that caused a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I brought 310 rounds, and admittedly, it was really difficult for me to get my dope and my data to line up with what I expected for the first 40, 50 rounds. I felt like I was chasing my tail. Uh, it was a little bit difficult to see on Friday. I just felt off, and we were working separately. You were down on the, like the zero line, and I was up on a Connex box. And so I sent five or six rounds. And before I knew it, I looked down and I had a pile of like 40 rounds. That was about how fast it went. It felt super quick. And then I was like, oh boy, this is a problem. I still want to practice. Okay, I'm going to do 10 rounds. And 20 rounds later, 40 <laughs> rounds later, you okay, said you're I only, only have 25 rounds left. Don't touch these. You said you were only going to shoot one round this morning and you shot three. <laughs> I Well, because the first round landed like at three tenths low or a tenth low. I don't remember, but it was enough for me to go, uh, it's worth me sending a second. Um, point being, if I hadn't done that and I couldn't, like, hey, yeah, do I just center on that one? Because that one's two tenths low. The next one was a tenth low. And the next one punched the center. I'm like, okay, I'm going to call that good. I'm going to trust that it's back where it was. And it, it was. My elevation was, I would say, fine. There was one stage where our targets were small enough that if you can imagine a three tenths diamond, yeah, <laughs> I'm laughing a little four when tenths. I hear this. There were four tenths diamonds. If you include so the, the points, points. Yeah. the point is a 30 cal bullet. And if you take out the 30 cal bullet on the top and the bottom, it's now a three tenths target. <laughs> okay. I'm laughing. Um, <clears throat> on that style target, you you have rounding up and rounding down are literally the difference between you hitting 50 percent and not. Yeah. And that was yeah, you exactly got to write like three point five plus if it and says three point five five for your data. Where your dot is on the diamond, and then favor like roll the dot half a dot low so that you center the group on the diamond. Like that's how small it was off of a tire, and I'm just laughing about it because I remember doing that at K and M. The targets were, relatively speaking, I felt like they were massive, <laughs> K and M compared to the compared to here. Um, I don't know. K&M matches pretty small targets, too. I, I mean that. In, the wind was way more predictable at K&M, though. Oh, it was. I you think could, that's what made them feel easier to hit. Oh, yeah. This was frustrating more than anything as a shooter. Now, again, back to the what do we do about it? You know, the whole point of this conversation was as a shooter, you are going to try to hit your goals. You're going to try to move forward. You're going to feel like you're going to get four, five, six steps forward. And then you're going to have a match or a moment or even a series of moments where it will feel like four, five, six, eight steps back. That doesn't mean that you really took eight steps back. It means you might have taken some steps forward and you're about to take 20, 30 steps forward. You just you had to take a few more back just because you got caught off guard on something you didn't know. And I know that there are weaknesses in my shooting or else I wouldn't have finished in eighth or whatever it was. I think it was eighth um, this weekend. And I would have held together another 10 points and finished in second third but i didn't so i have some things i need to work on and i'm hoping that everybody listening if you had a match like that or if you listen to this and you can recall some sequences where you're like yeah that was really tough and i don't know what to do about it hey man we we go through it just as much as you do it just seems it's just a different vantage point that's i don't know how to say that any differently so. <laughs> no, you said it. I'm feeling yeah. it. I know you are. <laughs> I, I saw it on a couple stages, and I know you were down, but you did a good job of not, you know, translating it to other people. Um, no, it was fine. Even Austin called me out. He said that it was a dump, dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> that rooftop was a dumpster fire, and I agreed with 
<laughs> that roof, that man. Stage, man. Those targets were like two tenths invisible. Yeah, it was almost invisible. Yeah. I don't want to pick apart the stages. I mean, they were fun. I I think that one could have had targets that were like twenty percent bigger, but yeah, it, honestly, it doesn't matter. I really don't mind small no. targets. I just wasn't seeing exactly where I was missing. Here's, what are you going to do? Yeah, and here's the way. This is the way I would look at this. There were five shooters who managed to pull off ninety, somewhere around eighty-eight to ninety-two percent of the course of fire. Yeah. Everybody they else were the would. best shooters this weekend. They yep. they had a plan. They executed multiple times. Um, Allison wasn't near us, and she went from I don't know tenth or twelfth all the way up to fourth. I think if I recall. Um, yeah, she got fourth. You know, Austin Regain shot. You're gonna him, do all the names again and fifth. forget some of them. No, I mean, you get it. Webster shot amazing. Preston yeah. shot awesome as as always, and obviously um, Clay she, won it. Well, I wasn't. I was going to wait and act like I didn't remember his name. Oh, giving okay. him a shot. But anyway, now you <laughs> spoiled it. Anyway, Clay shot awesome. It was really cool to watch. Um, I still don't know how you put your hand on the scope and do that, but good job, Clay. Uh, <laughs> um, no, those boys were fun to shoot with. And I honestly, again, we all go through moments that make it very difficult for us to understand what to do to get better, how to get better, what's the next step. And you'll have setbacks along that way. It's just as hard for us to drop one. And the reason I'm trying to get ahead of this is if you're the person who's listening to this in a year or in two years or you've been shooting for three years and you feel like you're right about to break it and you're going to just make that next step. Well, as long as you are take a deep, long, hard breath and go, you know, I guarantee you, you shooting 10, dropping 10 less shots a match will feel far more stressful than where you're at right now. Because it does for me. I mean, and I don't know if Chad feels that way. I felt way. I feel way more stressed now, because one shot means so much more. It's hard being to try to hit 200 consecutive shots in order to try to win a match, versus hitting 150 and feeling pretty good about it. Versus 130, that's a pretty easy increment. But going from 180 to 190 is incredibly difficult because it only takes half a shot a stage well, it doesn't it just doesn't happen for everyone that's, no, that's the unfortunate part you know it can't happen for everyone so so um, don't give up don't give up keep pushing keep trying keep trucking and uh eat waffles we haven't had waffle house in a long time you know what i'm snacking on these little candies here that justin gave us so thanks shout out to justin thanks justin they are pretzel Sar- rods. saris pretzel rods and are those the oh those are the pretzel rods yeah, yeah i'm eating the last one is that okay or you want this one I want half of it. Here, take it all. I only want half. No, I don't want it. I already right. had one. All right. I'm eating you this can one. Have that one. Yeah. That's a good crunch. <laughs> SARS is going to be very happy at this paid promotion. Brought to you by SARS. SARS? SARS. Oh, sorry. Am I saying it wrong? Yeah. Oh, SARS. Mm-hmm. I thought I didn't see the eye. It was in a weird place on the wrapper. So, no, man. Um, I don't really know what we want for dinner, but. We already uh, had dinner like an hour ago. Ah. That's the, that's just the first pass. It's hey, by the way, the stage. food at the board at the Peterson uh, AG Cup match was oh out my. of this world, dude. Okay, so the, if you're listening, the cluck to this. truck, the cluck truck was awesome, and then the other um, buffet food was awesome too. Steiner, if you're listening to this, you need to go find that guy and tell him to just go to be the roadie Romy food truck cart, and he just goes to all the PRS matches with his food truck. I mean, Ken needs to talk to the guy. Ken, (laughs) Ken, if you're listening to this episode, which you will, I don't know when you're going to hear this, you should pay this guy to come feed people at the finale. Cluck truck. 
or any other match, just tell them to go to all the matches. Cluck Truck. Incredible. Really good. Best food, hands down, by far, not even a quote, close second. Man, there's been some close seconds. Who? Well, um, Drew, Drew's has pretty awesome They're, at the The war. food is okay, but the people specifically can never get there on time. Oh, well, it's hard to get down that hill. I get that, but that's their <laughs> problem. This guy shows up on time. The guy that Drew had, he's he's a nice guy. He just It's not Drew's fault. The guy just never seems to show up. So I don't remember that. Was, I just remember yeah. eating, eating, and it was pretty tasty. So It was good food. It was just there late, and that was tough. Uh, but that's not Drew's fault. Um, but this cluck truck was awesome. We got to remember the words 50-50. If you're ever at one of Steiner's matches and you see the cluck truck, get a 50-50. With jalapenos. Or, yeah, with jalapenos or the Cuban. Mm-hmm. Both are incredible. Or anything else from their menu because it's always incredible. All right. So, with that, we're going to wrap it up. With that, adieu you, I bid. <laughs> Good day, sir. Good day, sir. (laughs) You lose. Good day, sir. (laughs)